You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. Today is a special, special episode. I'm joined by Tommy Hutton. Very excited to deliver that interview to you. I really couldn't think of a better guest leading into the postseason. Really just the best possible person to talk to and get amped up for the Marlins' first postseason appearance since 2003. No better voice than Tommy Hutton, who's gotten us through the good days, the bad days, and everything in between. And he's very excited about this ball club, too, which you will definitely see in the interview. A reminder that this episode with Tommy Hutton is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has six brand new amazing flavors to go with the 12 already very good flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and carrot cake, just to name a few. It's great for the health conscious guy or girl that's either looking to lose weight or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and great for a keto diet. I'll give you a quick flavor profile. I think last time I did peanut butter, I'll give you coconut almond this time. 18 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And for a limited time, you can get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Now for the interview with Tommy Hutton. I hope you enjoy it. It was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you have a lot of fun listening. And I'm joined by a longtime Marlins broadcasting voice and really just the voice of nostalgia for Marlins fans, Tommy Hutton. Tommy, this was a crazy season. It was great to have you, obviously, in any capacity, part of the Fox Sports Florida broadcast, and it's been really wild just to see what this team has endured this year. What has been the most amazing aspect of this season, and how has this season gone for you? Well, I tell you, it's it's exciting, and it's pretty amazing because if uh, we all go back to just regular spring training in February and March, uh, you know, everything started out kind of normal, and it was a good spring training. Uh, there was a, a good vibe around the ball club, and then, oh, mid-March, uh, when COVID-19 hit, everything was shut down. Everything was up in the air, and uh, you, you didn't know what was going to happen. If, if you were a player, if you were a broadcaster, you didn't know if a, a season was going to be played. So I give uh, the Marlins, and I give Don Mattingly and, and all, all of his staff a lot of credit for keeping everybody not only as as well as they could physically in shape, but mentally prepared to to start a season so then they they start the season they go to philadelphia they play well and what do you know after the third game there 18 guys test positive uh, for covid19 now they've got to quarantine in philadelphia for seven or eight days guys are stretching doing things in their room that it's just unheard of Uh, they finally put together a roster of guys that can play, they start out and they win seven of their first eight games. Just incredible. Uh, 
one thing leads to another. All the different players, uh, I think 167 roster moves, 61 different players, uh, rookies making their debut. Um, I saw a note the other day that 60, excuse me, 53 of the 60 games were started by pitchers 25 years of age or younger. And so when you put all that together, and then you find out you've made the playoffs. Uh, I mean, these guys got to be so happy about that. But I also know the way they are, they're not just satisfied to, to get to the playoffs. They want to continue. They want to continue this incredible run that they've been on. And you've really hit the nail on the head there. It's remarkable. We could go on and on about all of the obstacles that this team has overcome in this season. And yeah, it's an unusual season no matter what. And it was difficult for all 30 teams involved. But the Marlins obviously had a much more difficult and taller task to overcome, and it's incredible what they've been able to do. That aside, this team is 31 and 29 through the 60 game season. And if they were doing this, you know, through the first 60 games of a 162 game season, they'd still be a big talking point in baseball, I think, because nobody expected the Marlins to be ahead of the Phillies or the Mets in the standings. And if they were ahead of the Phillies and the Mets, through the first third of the season in a normal year, it would be pretty surprising and it would be a talking point. Would people think that the Marlins could compete for the playoffs in a 162-game season even with this hot start? Probably not. But what have they been doing on the field to you that's really stood out? Because aside from everything that they've overcome, they've played good baseball through and through and they've been a much better team all around when they're together than they've been in the previous years. Obviously some additions, but Overall, some players have taken that next step. What has stood out to you the most? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's, a, that's a real good point. And really, to talk about it from a baseball uh, perspective, if you look at the other teams that are all involved in postseason, and, and even a lot of the teams that aren't, and I, I like to point out that, hey, 60 games or not, the Marlins finished better than the Phillies, better than the Mets, better than the Nationals. So they're in the playoffs, and those teams aren't. But you look at the team, you go around the infield. Aguilar's been solid, just a, a great acquisition. Second base has been kind of up in the air. It looks right now that uh, John Birdie will probably settle in there. Miguel Rojas, um, I thought was the team MVP. Aguilar was voted the team MVP. Don't have a, a whole lot of an argument there, but Rojas has been so instrumental, not only uh, on the field, but off the field as well. Brian Anderson has been solid. Um, uh, you look at Dickerson, and I think a really – and this this guy I really look for to have a big postseason is Starling Marte in center field. I think he could actually pick things up and carry this ball club in postseason. And then uh, with Matt Joyce and Brinson kind of flip-flopping in, in right field, Alfaro behind the plate, uh, Chad Wallach's done a, a nice job. So you're right, they're, they're, if I had to say who's the all-star, you know, it's not like going to other teams and saying, oh, yeah, this guy's an all-star, this guy's an all-star. It's hard to say, but collectively, you put those guys together with Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, your top three in the rotation. And then I saw a note the other day about the Marlins' bullpen. If you, if you factor in the entire bullpen uh, on the season, the ERA isn't that good because there have been some blowout games. There have been some bad games. But if you just factor in Kinsler, Boxberger, Hoyt, 
Blyer, and I'm missing one other. You pat oh Yimmy Garcia. If you factor in those yep. five guys, their ERA is in the twos. So those wow. are the guys you're those are the guys you're going to be using in postseason. So when you factor in those guys, it's it's a good bullpen. If you look at it overall, it doesn't look that good. You mentioned the bullpen, and that's been a big part of the Marlins' success, even when they went down with the COVID-19 situation, able to find some arms to just put it together in the meantime. Some guys overachieved, like James Hoyt, who's now a part of the bullpen, even with the roster all returning, and he's really been taking on a really important role, maybe one of the most important roles in the entire bullpen, being the guy that needs to get the important outs with runners in scoring position in less than two outs. That seems to be Hoyt's duty, and he's been able to be a great escape artist this year. Kinsler, though, I've been critical of him on this podcast, I'll be honest, because I looked at all the peripherals and it seemed like he was just destined to regress. The FIP, whatever you want to look at, the velocity was down, but look, he's been as good as any closer in the league if you look at it on a macro scale, and he's right at the top in saves, he's been consistent all year, and he has put together some of the most clutch outings down the stretch here. I fully ate my words there on that one. Kinsler has been impressive and really a veteran guy, 40th round pick that has that grit and really has been an anchor for this team that you know can go out there and get the big round ball when you need it. What has impressed you about Kinsler as a guy that seemed like he was aging in the beginning of the season and now has really come on strong? Yeah, the biggest ground ball he got was that ground ball double play that LeMahieu hit the other night in their clincher, but... A guy like Kinsler is interesting because he's not the the prototypical uh, two, 2020 closer uh, like a Josh Hader who blows everybody away with 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. He actually gets contact. When he pitches, he pitches to contact. And when he's on, he gets those ground balls because he has a good sinker, a little change-up. And he has the other it factor for a closer, which a lot of – uh, closers, uh, some that have not had success, don't have. He's got it inside. He he wants the ball in that situation. So he's he's the big anchor there. He had 12 saves. I think he was second in the league in saves. I think Hader had 13. And when you look at it that way, you, I think a lot of people are surprised to find out Brandon Kinsler was second in the league in saves. But he's the guy you want. Um, He's not. That's why you need good defense behind him because he's not going to come in and strike out a lot of guys. He's not going to get a lot of swings and misses, but he's going to make guys try to hit that ground ball if you need to try to get that double play. And it really seems like Kinsler would get that ground ball every time the team needed it. And I don't know if the Marlins are where they are right now without Kinsler, especially with those last two gutsy performances like we were talking about, the six-out save and just getting that ground ball, like you mentioned, with DJ LeMahieu. But there were some times here where I thought, man, this team might give it up here because so many times in the past, right? Remember 2009, 2008, where we were talking about the Marlins as a surprise story and then things would just fizzle out a little bit at the end because they just didn't quite have the firepower. They were young, didn't quite have enough pitching depth. But now this team, every time I think they're about to fold, they turn the page and bounce back. Even after a 29-9 loss, the next day they win. How has that been for you? Have you had those moments too where you think, wow, this team might be starting to come back down to earth a little bit, but then they don't? Yeah, and that, and that's the, the thing about this year. You're right. There were two or three times 
that uh, myself included, and, and a lot of people uh, that follow the ball club, uh, you, you thought, okay, this is this is when they're going to go in the other direction, especially after the the twenty nine to nine loss uh, uh, to the Braves. Um, they they were able to. I think another turning point was that the day they had an off day that they had looked forward to, and all of a sudden they found out they had to fly to New York, play the Mets, and, oh, by the way, uh, Jacob deGrom is scheduled to pitch. (laughs) And they went up there, and they won that game, and then came back and then had a stretch of, like, 28 games in 24 days with the doubleheaders. Uh, and I'm I'm telling you, people just thought, well, this isn't going to happen. I'm sure this isn't going to happen. But you know what? Gradually, as things went on, you started to hear more uh, national attention to the Marlins because of everything they had to go through this year. I think the only other team, especially in postseason, that came close to going through what they did, probably the St. Louis Cardinals, because they had a few doubleheaders uh, toward the end. But, I mean, the fact that, they had to quarantine in Philadelphia for seven or eight days. Um, the fact that Michael Hill, the uh, president of baseball operations, and his staff, they had to go out and pick guys who a lot of people didn't even know who they were. We'd say, I've never heard of this guy. Who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Uh, what position does he play? I remember we had Mattingly on a Zoom call one time, and he said, uh, there's some guys that are going to be at the ballpark tonight that I've not met. I don't even know them. And that's that's the kind of season it's been. So for for Mattingly, this has got to be by far, and I know he has said this, the most satisfying year as a manager that he's ever had. Definitely. And you could see the excitement from Mattingly, who's typically a pretty good poker player and doesn't really tip his hand too much. But when he came sliding in across the infield, it was like this release of emotion. And then, of course, talking in the post-game press conference, he he looked like he was very emotional. And you could see just the years of really struggling with tough ball clubs and really not a lot of talent at the major league level. Now, really having this special season, you could see how long it, it seemed that Mattingly was waiting for it. With you, though, and I want to talk about the broadcasters because this has been a tough year for broadcasters all over. And while you're not in the booth anymore you're still doing pre and post game and it's definitely harder given the circumstances and I've really admired what you've been able to do of course Severino Holly Kelly Jessica everybody that's been able to at least make it seem like you're not missing a beat on television and I know as someone that's you know aspiring to be where you are and has called games and been on that side of things it is hard as is. So when you're very limited and what you can do, it's even harder. How has that been for you this season as somebody that's a veteran and been around the game for so long, whether it was playing or broadcasting, but now you're dealing with this whole situation that you've never seen before and you're so used to your typical routines. How have you been managing that? Well, it was for, for all the broadcasters, for, for Paul Severino and, and Todd Hollinsworth, and then for, for us guys on the pregame and postgame, the strangest part, though, especially let's just go to this last week when the team was in Atlanta and in, in New York. When the team was on the road, we're at Marlins Park. Uh, the guys upstairs are doing their broadcast from the booth, and we're down on the concourse promenade level, the third level between home and first with our Fox Sports Florida set. 
but there's nobody else at the ballpark. So it's it's a strange feeling because we're not close at all. And other than Zoom calls, uh, occasionally we get to hear what guys have to say, and we use those clips on on the pre and post game shows. But we're we don't get to like there are so many times. I can picture in the past where we'd get the chance around the batting cage to talk to Mattingly about certain things, to talk to a couple of coaches, talk to some players, uh, you know, to talk to a Brian Anderson about something. We did not have that opportunity this year. So that's what made it not only strange for the guys on the field, but for, for broadcasters all around baseball, it was the same thing. I know some broadcast crews, ours was not this way, but I know some crews that had, one guy at home doing the broadcast and another guy at an empty ballpark and they were working together broadcasting a game. There were some crews that did that this year. I could not imagine trying to call a game with my partner in another state or wherever it might be. It just would make things so much more difficult. And it just goes on and on about all of the challenges across the board, whether it's fans, whether it's broadcasters, whether it may be even just anybody that works for a team or in the league. It's just different, and the word of the year seems to have been unprecedented. With this team, though, a lot of what it's achieved has been unprecedented. What has been most special to you about this ball club? Because I think we're going to remember this team for a long time. No, I think when you look at this ball club, you're you're just happy for them because you know uh, how how things started out and you know what they've been able to accomplish to this point. Um, much different than than any other year because in '03 we were around the players, we were on uh, team flights, we were talking to guys on the airplane and at the ballpark, uh, we run into them at the hotel. None of that happens uh, this year, but I think just looking from our standpoint, we're just all so excited and so happy for these guys because of, of what they've had to go through. And I, you mentioned earlier uh, the conversation with Mattingly and his interviews and also with Miguel Rojas. If you remember, you could sense that both uh, were tearing up and had certainly a lot of emotion in what they were saying. So you, you know how that all kind of culminated when they uh, finally clinched things against the Yankees. So that's why this year's been crazy. It's been, it, it's been tremendous, and you just have the feeling. Uh, and I think it's great that the Cubs are involved because the Marlins have had uh, an interesting past in postseason with Chicago. So I think it's interesting that the Cubs are involved in this first series too. Well, you mentioned the Cubs, and I want to talk to you about that because it's a three-game series, and anything can happen. So definitely want to get your thoughts there. But first, I wanted to ask you about my two MVPs for this team, I know Jesus Aguilar won the MVP among the voters around the Marlins organization, but I think you could make the case for Rojas, even though he missed the time on the COVID IL, and Pablo Lopez, who really anchored the pitching staff for that really difficult stretch there, and besides a couple tough starts, has been 
the Marlins' most consistent starter, of course, if you're excluding Sandy Alcantara because of the time that he missed, but Pablo's the only guy that's really been there all season as a starter, and he's been very good. Both Pablo and Rojas are pretty underrated guys most of their career, right? Pablo Lopez, a 20th round pick around, and really one of the more underrated prospects, kind of a throw-in in a trade. So was Rojas. He was a throw-in in that Dodgers trade. Both of them have that chip on their shoulder. And while they don't really have a tool that jumps off the charts, they've been able to contribute at a really ridiculous rate and have been some of the most consistent players in baseball. What do you think has really gotten into them and what has helped them improve this much, especially Rojas, now on the other side of 30? Lopez is still young and is figuring things out, but still both of them, without really having anything crazy change with the way that they play or anything like that, just to have these rapid improvements and to continue this upward trajectory. Well, I'll start with Rojas, and, and I think you have to go back a, a few years when he actually played for uh, Don Mattingly uh, in L.A. with the Dodgers. And at the time, he was a utility guy. He was a guy, and I've heard Mattingly say it, that you know, if I needed him at second base or I needed him at short or even at first base some night, he could go in and do it. I knew I'd get a good glove out of him, good good defense. That's the kind of player he was. And, and uh, Mattingly has seen the uh, growth and the progress of uh, Miguel Rojas, and he has turned into an everyday shortstop. He's turned into a leader on the ball club. He made a point when when they were quarantined in uh, Philadelphia, he was uh, calling guys, uh, getting on Zoom calls, uh, just regular phone calls, just keeping up to date with everybody uh, to make sure everybody was doing okay. And and he's just turned into a key player. I mean, I, I you love to see that because a lot of players get pigeonholed into, well, this guy's a good utility player or this guy's that. Well, he didn't want to be just that. He's put in an unbelievable amount of work to become what he is as a player. And then with uh, Pablo Lopez, everybody always used to say about Pablo, he's such a nice guy that, you know what, he might be too nice a guy. You want to see him get mean out on the mound, you know, maybe a little more focus. And I think that with maybe a few uh, uh, mechanical changes that he made with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. working with him, I think you combine those things and, and all of a sudden he's become a bulldog out there on the mound, and, and a great analogy, I just thought of it in, in 1988, I think it was uh, Oral Hershiser, very calm demeanor, uh, didn't have the attitude that Tommy Lasorda wanted to see from him on the mound, so he started calling him Bulldog, and that, that was his nickname, Bulldog, and he became that, and all of a sudden you see a, a transition in Pablo Lopez, uh, uh, a more of a bulldog on the mound, and I think that's what's, what's helped his success this year. And that'll do it for part one of the Tommy Hutton interview. A lot more postseason talk as we get deep into the Marlins Cub series, talking about some of the Marlins teams in the past, how this one compares to it, and plenty of more, including some prospect discussion as well. Tommy gets into all of it. And really, you could just tell he stays still so up to date with the ball club from the minor leagues to the majors, and obviously a very very good mind to talk about baseball history with, whether it's Marlins or just any players of the past, as you could hear just the story about Oral Hirschheiser even too, which is just what makes Tommy so fun. So I very much hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's always fun to hear from Tommy Hutton. Really just his voice is the epitome of nostalgia for a lot of us. So 
myself included. It's always fun to talk to him. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you're looking forward to part two coming up next.